Thank you, Jesus. Well, good afternoon. Um, with your permission, I'd just like to open in prayer because I don't do anything without my daddy. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity once again to come before you. We pray, Father God, right now that your Holy Spirit just move, Father God, in this presentation, that, Lord, you roll back my mind, my tongue, and let the living waters of the Holy Spirit flow so that on good soil, Father God, your word would fall. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, thank you, Vernon, for awesome intro. Um, yes, my name is Patricia Bridges. I have been working for the State of Tennessee Department of Correction now for almost 13 years. Um, I do teach the, one of the reentry classes. Um, I am going to talk a little bit about what I do on an everyday basis from 8.30 a.m. Hi, Kim. To 3.30 in the afternoon. It's six hours of highly intense therapeutic programming slash education with the ladies. Um, my students are serving anywhere between two years and life in prison, um, depending on when they go up for parole. So in preparation for parole, when they come between three months and 36 months, they are eligible for my class, which is called Career Management for Success, which used to be called Release for Success, which was the pre-release programming prior to the merge. Um, the reason for the merge was to um, give the inmates who were participating in the class um, everything that they would need to enter into society successfully in a transition as well as the credit um, of 60 days added to the end, subtracted from the end of their sentence was the incentive that you go through this program, this highly intense 90-day program, and, this, and if you're able to make it out of Ms. Bridges' class, this is what your reward's gonna be. The big word was if you're able to make it out because they don't just get a certificate from Ms. Bridges. You will earn it, okay? And so, um, because to me, society is my job to work, what, that I'm working for corrections is to protect society. And so therefore, if society says, based on the new programming, that we're willing to give you this because your capacity is full, then you're gonna have to put up or shut up. So you're gonna get 60 days if you earn it. Because if you don't earn it, you're not getting it. So what I do, is when they come in, they are expected, and, and a lot of people, a lot of females that come into my class, Ms. Morgan's here, she can attest to it, they do not like me. They come in and they'll tell you, I don't want to be in that lady's class, they'll check into segregation, they would want to get transferred to TPW, they don't want to go through my class, okay? And I don't have a problem with that. And so um, one of the classes, the very first thing is they'd have to do a mini, uh, essay and it, it starts off with how you see yourself, how do you think others see you, and then an honest description as to how you ended up where you are. A lot of them have a hard time because they'll just answer those three questions. I see myself this way, I, they see me this way, and I'm here because the system failed me. I'm here because my mom didn't do this or my dad didn't do this. They take no ownership or responsibility as to why they are currently incarcerated. Well, just wake up and smell the coffee because now you're in my class. I'm not accepting that. You're here because you made poor choices, because you chose to do what it was you did, and now you expect this to happen in response to you. Then they say, well, I took the charge for this person or this person or this person because I thought I loved him. No, you abandoned your children because you're sick too. See, I don't let them tell me whatever they want to, me to hear. They're not gonna get that from me. So I can assure you citizens, they are going to get what they got to get from me before they come out to you all. So 
I will start with the, the core programming that I teach, and that is preparing for career success. In preparing for career success, they learn how to do resumes effectively. They learn how to write um, thank you letters, cover letters, mini bios. They learn how to use the computer, how to use the keyboard. They learn with interviewing skills. Hope Works normally comes in every 90 days, and they'll do a, a mock interview with them. They're also getting the word of God because I am a child of God and freely as I receive, I give back and it's going to get to them Amen. because that's what God said. He told me they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And that is my testimony. So therefore, they're going to get it. And so and they get it in love sometimes. So and that, that is the honest truth. Kim, am I not telling this truth? Amen. Amen. So they will get it, and in I am working on that compassion thing. <laughs> I really am. So, um, so that prepare for career success, we do use a uh, preparing for career success curriculum that the state of Tennessee Department of Education has adopted. I do have a have to have an educational license to teach that program, and so I again I work for corrections, but I do have a teaching uh, instructor's license because I have to have that because it's accredited, and it's an accredited course through the Department of Education. Uh, my master's is, of course, is in BA, but MBA, and the other one is in pre-law political science and criminal justice. And so that's when I teach that part of the class. Um, the class is 360 hours. Normally it's nine mo uh, three months, 90 days. Um, and if we don't get the whole time in, now they've changed policy where they're just going to stay with me until they get their 360 hours. We used to give them leniency for the holidays, but now they said, no, they will do you 360 hours. So I can have a vacation because there was, you know, every 90 days I start a new class. There was no time for me to have a vacation. And so now if I take a two-week vacation throughout the year, that class would just stay with me until they make up that time. Um, I do have guest speakers. I have community volunteers and resources. If any one of you all want to leave your information and you feel as though that you're led to this ministry, give me your information. You can come in and you can speak with my ladies. Um, so I am very much working with the community. Um, the, one of the other courses I teach is Thinking for a Change. That is a cognitive restructuring program adopted by the State of Tennessee Department of Corrections. It's behavioral modification. Basically what that means is you change the way they think, they're going to change the way they act, which is also Romans 12 too. And that's how I implement God's word. I don't bring a Bible to class. I'm supposed to be the Bible. So I use Romans 12 too to renew their mind. They have to renew their mind. Many people can come out and have these really good jobs. And they can work for many years at really good jobs. But if they don't deal with their inner child issues, traumatic events that happened in their lives, they're only putting a Band-Aid on the truth. And they will only survive for so long in these really good paying jobs. And then employers wonder why, well, they were doing so well, I wonder what happened. Life issues happened outside of your employment. They have to go back home to their husbands or boyfriends or baby mama drama type stuff or whatever. And if they are not equipped with the coping mechanisms to handle those life issues, they're going to revert back to their arrested development stage. The arrested development stage is where the first traumatic event occurred in their life. They learned at that level because they were arrested, which means that they stopped maturing mentally and emotionally. They did grow numerically and chron chronologically and physically, and so society says you're an adult. You are an adult, 
your da-da-da age and da-da-da-da-da. But guess what? Mentally and emotionally, they are stuck at that arrested development stage, so they are now acting in the coping mechanism that they learned as a protection when they were wounded. Hurt people hurt people. Secrets keep people sick. And many of them, including myself, praise God for my testimony, learned this is what you do. You don't do this. You don't tell what's going on in the house. You don't do this. You don't do this. You don't do this. And so we expect these adults by number and size to function as we, adults in society that are successful, when they don't have the proper tools to do that mentally and emotionally. I'm not saying they're mentally retarded. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is when I'm looking at a 48-year-old female at Mark Lutcher Correctional Center act like a five-year-old child throwing tantrums, Houston, we have a problem. Because society's going to say, because you did this, you are responsible as an adult. So they're going to go from the streets to the cells and back again. And they will be your neighbors. And they will shop with you at Walmart. And they will go to, with you to church unless we decide to continue to serve them the way we're supposed to. And that's what my program is doing. So cognitive restructuring is changing the way they think so that they can change the way they act. And in that cognitive restructuring, there's a lot of mechanisms that we use, a thinking report. We break it down. I am a very strict person of holding them accountable. Yes, get over it, get off the potty chair, wipe your butt, someone else needs a seat. I understand you're not the only one that happened to. It happened to me, happened to da-da-da-da, and we're making it. You choose to be this way. You choose to act this way. Now, I have something that can help you and encourage you, but you got to want it just as much as I want to give it. So that's the cognitive restructuring component of the program. Then there's another program. It's called Victims Impact, which is also a state curriculum, and that class is not about my student. That is the only class that is not about my student. That class is about the victims, their victims, whether it's their primary victim or their secondary victim or the community or whomever. That class is the impact of crime on victims. And that program I have with Victims to Victory and the Shelby County Victim Association here, they come in, they get people from the community who has been victimized, whether it's homicide, identity, and they come into my class and they give their testimony as to how they were victimized, the impact it had on their lives, their families' lives, how they can't sleep, how they can't do this. Uh, we also have videos that go with crimes such as uh, child abuse and neglect, elderly abuse, substance abuse, um, homicide, identity theft, we have a whole curriculum that specifically is geared towards 12 specific crimes, offenses, that these inmates learn about. And I understand that 99.9% .9 of those females were victimized in some form or fashion, whether it's physically, mentally, verbally, sexually, all of them, and there might be some of you all out there, were victimized or abused emotionally. Emotional abuse is almost always present with all the other forms of abuse. And if you look at emotional abuse, that attacks the character, that attacks the identity, that attacks everything, the mind, the will, and the emotion. So when someone is emotionally abused, they are not capable 
of responding the way they are expected by society to respond. So if that is the case, and if you do your research about any form of abuse, if you have sexual abuse, there's emotional abuse. If you have mental abuse, there's emotional abuse. If you have verbal abuse, there's emotional abuse. If their emotions are out of whack and they cannot, and they are immature in their emotions, they're gonna act that way. So what I do, it's a dual program. I understand you've been victimized, raped, molested, da 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 but you also have. And it, what normally gets them in victim's impact is whenever they try to tell me, well, this is what happened to me and nobody did anything to it and my daddy did this and my granddaddy did this and yada, 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 yada. And I let them talk. And when they get done, I say, so you're doing the same thing to your own kids, right? And they, boom, bottom out. Well, no, you don't understand. Yes, I do. Your mother abandoned you and you sitting in here with me and you've been here a lot longer than me because I go day for day, voluntarily go to prison and you're here. You abandon your children and you're repeating that cycle. That's when it hits them, when I make them personalize their victimization and who they victimize. And then they're able to understand the impact of what their crime did to their primary victim. And if they're, well, the drug dealers, boy, I love working with them. I don't have no victims. It's not my fault they're an addict. Oh, no? Okay. Yeah, this person's an addict, and they're coming to you to buy their drugs. But they're on public assistance. So they're now taking their public assistance money to give to you so that you can continue to feed their addiction, which is a sickness. But what about their four or five kids that didn't do anything, and you're victimizing them? Well, no, because that's their mama's fault. Okay. I'll even go one better. How many of your family members have cancer? Several of them raise their hand. And then I'll say, cancer is a sickness. It's a disease, correct? Yes. So is addiction. So you mean to tell me you would be okay with me being on a street corner selling your cancer-stricken grandmother with cancer and say it's not my fault because she came to me and asked for it? It's the same thing. You gotta get them to think. And if you don't get them to think, they're coming back to your communities. They will live next door to you. They will go to church with you. They will shop at the shops that you shop. And this is what you will be welcoming back into your community if we don't do what we need to do as a community to stop this cycle. So that's Victims Impact, Thinking for a Change and Preparing for Career Success. Then I also have a forgiveness class. And I teach on forgiveness and why forgiveness is important. Forgiveness is not about the person who wounded them. Forgiveness is about them being free. And I draw four diagrams of one cell. And in that cell, there's one bar, how they create their own prison of unforgiveness. You have the one bar, which is the offense. And then the second bar is the, the emotions and the hurts that the offense caused. And then you have the ramifications and the thoughts, which is the third bar. And then the last bar is the other bars are facing one way. It's just like the coins of America. All the silver ones are facing one way and the bronze one is facing the other way. Well, you got three bars that are facing this way and then the last one faces that way because those are sinful reactions to the offense. And those sinful reactions, yes, someone offended them. Someone hurt them and wounded them. They're emotional about it because they haven't spoke about their emotions. Now you have the thoughts, the ramification that continues to play over and over and over in their mind as to why all this happened. They're getting angrier and angrier and angrier, but the sinful ra ramifications are their choice. Those are their behaviors. 
the addictions, the unhealthy relationships, the physical, mental, emotional abuse of what they're doing to their victims. So when their children are involved, their children become their offense. Now they offended their children and now they're putting their children in an unforgiven prison. So forgiveness is extremely important. They have to understand the power of forgiveness and why when you forgive, it frees you. And I tell them, you not forgiving those that abandon you, hurt you, reject you, is you drinking a bottle of poison expecting them to die. It's not gonna happen. So to set yourself free so that you can live, even if you don't mean it right away, forgive them and God will work with that. That's what I tell them. And then after forgiveness class is houses of healing. That deals with the inner child. That is probably one of the most difficult classes that they have to experience because they have to face what they faced as children. Because until the adult Patricia can go back and heal the little Patricia inside of her, that little Patricia is still kicking and screaming as to what happened. I had no control. This is, this is I'm crying out. So I have to go back and teach them the coping mechanism that's gonna help them to restore whatever relationships that they may have had within themselves and take that inner child and process out healthy. It's like a bottle of Coke. I could shake that bad doggy up and if I just took the top up, it's gonna destroy probably your pretty clothes out there because I had no control of where it went. But if I shook that same bottle of Coke up and I just let a little out at a time, I'm learning how to release what's been inside of me. And then eventually I'm just going to be able to take the top off and it won't affect anyone, but at least I was able to release what's been burning inside of me. That's what it takes. That's what we're supposed to do as children of God. We're supposed to teach them. And so until, because it says my people perish of lack of knowledge, until they see and understand they perish. And our prisons is not like we're building new schools. If you do know of a new school that's being built, please let me know. But I can tell you of several prisons that are being built. And I'll get to ministering because they don't took the Bible out of school and Christ out of school, but hell, they're learning about it in the prison system. Because everybody's trying to find Jesus in prison. Why not give it to them where they're supposed to have it? Amen. So that is why when they're coming to me, they're coming with a highly intense program. They have to be faced with this stuff. And we do group processing groups. We do groups. We process out. We talk a lot about what they're going to need. We need a positive plan of action of release. The what is. If this happens, Miss Bridges, then what? Well, then this is what you're going to have to do. Because to be honest with you, many of them can't go back to their families. They cannot go back to their families. Because the family is where the sickness is. But it's normal to them. Not all of them, not all. There are many of them that do go back to family members. But when you really look at the pictures, like I tell them, your children, because over 90% of them do have children, whether they're adult children who, are, who have suffered their entire addiction. You know, if, if we even look, if just picture this with me. If you have an individual who's 48 years old and her first traumatic event happened when she was five, but now she has all these kids, at least six of them, she's, a baby is raising the babies, but then she's been in and out of jail, in and out of prison, plus on drugs as an addict the majority of her children's life. What type of parenting had those children received? 
if there wasn't a grandparent to step forward. And you do have a lot of grandparents. The problem is, is nowadays you have grandparents that are 60 years old, 65 years old, raising 16-year-old men. And that kid, when he's angry because mom and dad are in prison, lashes out, not wanting to hurt grandma, but has all this inside of him, hurts grandma or grandpa. And the cycle continues. And it continues. You have little girls molested and all this other stuff. They grow up promiscuous, have unhealthy relationships, accept abuse physically just so that they don't get rejected. And then their children are experiencing it because now they're left alone into the foster care system and we can go there if we want to, but we're not going to. And then they're, they're expected to succeed in school while mom's in prison. And I've had it where I've had a mother in my class and her daughter and they shared the same cell. Can you even imagine me? I can't. Being at the south side door of our prison, I'm in prison and I watched a van come up and my daughter steps off of that van. And she ends up sleeping in the bunk above me. That's what's happening. And now that our children are getting younger, they're angry, they have a sense of entitlement, it is out of whack out there. And if a, if a lady is serving a life sentence, that means she has to serve at least 25 years. She's a grandmother, because we have grandmothers in prison too, a whole heck of a lot of those. Then you have moms who are between 30 and 40 years old, and they're kidding, and now you have three generations in prison. The Bible says to the second, third, and fourth generation. So we have a problem out there. So reentry is extremely important. We're doing ours. I can't make any of those ladies receive nothing that we're offering them. They can get a write up and go to say. But ultimately, it has to be their choice to change the way they think so that they can have a heart change. But it would be wrong for me not to offer it to them. It would be wrong for society not to offer the reentry programs, transitional housing programs, so forth and so on. Yes, they violated the law. Yes, they did this. And yes, they did that. And may, maybe homosexual. They may be this. They may be that. Guess what? They're coming back. Because only 2% of them are probably going to serve life. And that's 25 years to life. That means they do get a parole date after 25 years. But they're coming back. And if we... Just say, oh, they're this and they're that and they're this and they're that and not give them a second chance to shame on us. Then that's on us. Because let him without sin cast the first stone. Many of us did things and we just didn't get caught for it. Praise God he chose me to be on this side of the prison system and not the other one. But we just didn't get caught. But yet we turn our noses up to those that are coming out and won't give them the second chance, won't give them compassion, Patricia. I'm working on that. And love. I am, Kim, I promise you I am. If we as a society, as a community, do not give them, I'm not telling them to, to allow them to manipulate you and, and to give, give, give materialistic items and monies. No, not that. They might need it the first time out, we might be able to hook them up, and, and Ms. Morgan will talk to you a lot about a lot of that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is, is as an individual person, there may be people out there that have had other family members who have been incarcerated as well. 
and you may have wanted them to be able to have a second chance to enter society. I do what I do because I've had those people in my family. From brothers to cousins, I've had it in my family. Praise God, it has not been me, but I served because when they were in there, my prayer was that someone would serve them the way I'm serving these people, Father, because those are my family members, my unsaved ones. So if any of you have anyone in your family with any type of stronghold, is the word I'll choose to use, then it's up to us as a community to find out whether you're in the churches, whether you're in nonprofit organizations, whether you are in um, public administration, whether it's uh, private, state, local, federal, it is our responsibility. Because as you can see in society right now, it's not happening. That's the honest truth. You have ladies out here that are trying to make it trying to make you have young men out here that are trying to make it and maybe even older women and older men but because the system and the way society is created we judge them and then we don't want to serve them but we will be the first ones sitting down watching the five o'clock news pointing our finger and judging them but what have you done to serve them because is this not our community it is our responsibility for re-entry. The Department of Correction cannot do it by themselves. We cannot. It's our job to, truthfully, they break the laws of society, the police catch them. The police catch them, send them to court. Well, they gotta be held in jail first, then they go to court. The court system sentences them to us. We keep them for whatever the court system says and it's our job to offer programming and da 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 Technically, no, we're supposed to house them. But rehabilitation is important and we realize that and so we have changed our stuff within the department because we know it doesn't start when they get out. It starts as soon as they hit that door when they get to us. And then once they're with us, it's our responsibility to prepare them for re-entry. But once we've had them for ours, then we pass them to society and community. And if you love your community and you want to do right by your community, then it's my advice that you take a more active role within your community and say, what can I do to help? What do I need to do to help? How can I serve? Nowadays, the way that things are going, you might want to look at the juvenile court system because that is where we are definitely falling short because if you have one parent in prison, you are probably more likely to get in trouble. But if you have two, we'll keep the light on because you're coming. Is that for everybody? No. But statistics say there's a high percentage that you probably will be because they're, they're suffering abandonment, rejection, and then you have elderly grandparents and so forth, and then no one family member wants them, and they're getting bounced around, which isn't really good for them as well. So our juveniles are getting younger and younger and younger, and they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier and they're feeling abandoned, rejected, not loved. So if no one, then I must for myself. That sense of entitlement and pride kicks in. Pride comes before a fall and haughtiness before destruction. They are setting themselves up to be another statistic, either dead or following the footsteps of the generational curse as their parents. 
So as a society, reentry is extremely important and it's needed. And I am doing my part in, this, in the prison system. I promise you people I am. I am doing my part. But when they come to you all, somebody has to do their part. And I challenge you to do that part. Make a difference. I don't care if it's in the school system, if you go and volunteer. I know my pastor always says, Patricia, make sure when they see you, they see Jesus because you might be the only Jesus they see. Hello. So that's what you have to do. Maybe mentor. Go to the Boys and Girls Club. I don't know if Memphis has that. I'm from Chicago, so you know, maybe they have the Boys and Girls Club or you know, the church or whatever have you. Volunteer. Spend time. Teach a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night youth group. Do something to get involved in these young people's life. Who knows? You might make the difference in that one child's life. You might plant a seed. Someone else is going to water it, and God will get the increase. That's his word. He is not a man that he shall lie. And there is no respecter of man, so he's not going to do it for me. I am the exception. I am not the exception. I am the promise fulfilled, just like you. You are not the exception. You are the promise. If you are a child in Christ Jesus, you have the promise. But he says, freely as you receive, give. Who have you given it to? That's me. Thank you. Any questions or comments for me? Did I bring you out of church? Hey, man. Hallelujah. <laughs> After forgiveness is called Houses of Healing. And what we do, right, there is a book that I use. It was written by a young lady, and I really don't know the name off the top of my head, but it deals with the inner child. And in my counseling background, I did a lot of, I worked with a lot of juvenile at-risk youth in, up north, and um, we did a lot of work with uh, Dr. Samuel inside the criminal's mind and how that works. And so we through all of the stuff that I've been through, training and everything, we, I've learned that the inner child, the wounded child, when you can get to that wounded child, one of the books that I use is Broken Children, Grown-Up Pain um, by Dr. Hedstrom. And uh, that is a really good book, Broken Children, Grown-Up Pain, because it helps break down all of what's going on inside the mind of that inner child that was wounded. Anyone else? Hedstrom, yes. Yes, ma'am. Um, with all, I'm be honest with you. I am gifted with a gift called attention deficit disorder. My brain just operates a lot faster. So if it wasn't like right now, it's gone. Um, but does someone else get that topic that she's asking about? Oh, yeah, that's right. Victim's impact. There you go. See, I if it's not, it's gone. Yes, ma'am. Um, the process that you go to volunteer at the prison is you would call the prison that I work at. Her name is Chaplain Elma Harris. She is the chaplain. And you can go online to, I believe, Tennessee.gov. And there is a volunteer application. You will fill out the application. They're going to go through a screening and all this other kind of stuff. Just like working with kids, you have to pass the screening and all that other kind of stuff. Do not worry if you are an ex-felon. That does not hinder because guess what? You share your testimony. So it has, you know, depending on if you're still on paper or, you know, it's, up, it's at the warden's discretion. So that, don't let that discourage you because the majority of my volunteers are ex-felons. 
because who better that is going to deliver than someone who's been through it and is and they see that person successful because I could come in there well not me but someone else could come in there and, and talk and talk and talk but never experience they're gonna out of respect because they're in my class because they know better if they don't sit and listen but if someone comes in matter of fact I just had last week I had a young man who was sentenced to life in prison in Michigan um, really big drug time dealer um, and he was his sentence was not commuted but the governor did something to it where he's a yes that one and so he got out and he has now he's off papers and everything he comes in there he's a state volunteer and he gives his testimony he's written a book and he's donated five of them to me so I have my ladies read it and he comes out and he talks to every 90 days he gives a speech to the you know his testimony to the ladies I have another tag team sisters the teacup ministry sisters one was the codependent nurturer make excuses and the other one was a blown out addict come from a dr uh, alcohol addictive family and um, that was like um, in the 50s and 60s where treatment and all that other everything was kept in the house and so these two wonderful ladies come out once a quarter and they share their testimony from the perspective of the family member who was victimized by the addict and how the addiction caused the ripple effect within the family so I encourage you that if you know or if you are an ex-felon don't let that discourage you from serving because Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament spent the heck of a time in jail so he will use you if your heart is right so don't let that discourage you all you have a story and you need to share it they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the words of their testimony yes ma'am Well, it's taught down here in Memphis. I'm originally from Chicago, and I worked with at-risk youth in, in Iowa when I was in Iowa. I've been down here 13 years, and career management for success came on board probably in 2007. Prior to that, it was pre-release program, and then 2010, it switched to the release for success class, and now it's, um, I am now, because I did get my teaching license, I have now been switched from Release for Success to Career Management for Success, which is the education, the Department of Education and the Department of Correction combined. Do y'all follow up with any sort of impact you can have um, the people being in the prison? Um, I don't, because I don't deal with the statistics, but I can say proudly I have several inmates who have written, called, and ever sent pictures of their success. And, and the reason I say that is because I could take no glory, because God gets the glory. Um, these young ladies, I have been teaching pre-release since 2003. My class then was 30 students max. I averaged graduating 25, and now I get 25 students. My educational class is, uh, my educational class is, uh, uh, average graduation is 20. I can say in my years, in my tenor of teaching what I'm teaching, because it's not me but the God in me, only 20 inmates have come back to prison. To me, if I was a baseball player, I'd be better than Joe DiMaggio right now. Okay. That's all I have. Thank you all for your attention. Oh, wait, I guess I got to introduce, I'm sorry, Ms. Morgan. I got to introduce my partner, Ms. Morgan. This is Counselor Morgan. Ms. Morgan has been with the department for how many years? 
three years, and she is our reentry counselor. So after they get done doing me, they're going to her, and then she creates the reentry plan for them and how they you know, are going to work in the community and what all they need to do to be ready for coming back to you all. So this is Ms. Morgan. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to give Miss Bridges another hand. I don't know how I'm going to follow that. <laughs> and I'm going to walk around because I'm not a speaker by nature. I am nervous. Okay, so the walking around will make me more comfortable. I hope it makes you more comfortable. But I'm going to uh, say some things to be really realistic with you all and what reentry looks like. Okay, so we have Miss Bridges. She teaches all these classes. You do all these programs. You do great things while you're incarcerated. You get recognized for volunteering. You get recognized for uh, vocational things. And then you get out. And when you get out, the picture for the person who was incarcerated, that picture looks like this. You go and apply for a job. And the very first question you see on the application for someone who has committed a crime, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Even though it asks for your name, your address, your phone number, if you've convicted a felony, that's gonna be the first question you see. It's gonna stand out. And you gonna hold on to that you're going to look at that application, and some of you will probably put no. And the reason you put no is because you know that if I put yes, the chances of me getting hired will be second to none. I won't even get a call back. I'll, they'll toss my application. So I'm going to say yes so that I don't get in trouble. I know y'all probably wondering why I'm holding this eraser, but I'll let you know that in a minute. Okay. So let's talk about reentry services for a second and what that looks like for an offender. Prior to your release, we now have people such as myself in the prison who is there to network you with services in your respective communities so you'll know what to do when you get out. It better prepares you for society when you get out, okay? Uh, we have some people who leave out on parole and when they do, this is what I tell each individual. Your parole officer is your best friend. <laughs> your best friend. But oftentimes they don't want to hear that. And that reason being is because that's the other side of the law for them. That's somebody they have to report to. That's somebody that supervises them. That's somebody that watches their every waking move. But that parole officer is actually a resource for them. That parole officer will provide them, if they need it, with bus vouchers for transportation. They can provide them to write communities if they need it. Um, so basically, I try to enlist and tell them to look out for those resources that are available. I also connect them with transition housing because some of them don't have a family or a support system to go home to. There are several transition homes throughout the state of Tennessee, because I not only work with women that live in Shelby County, when they go home, they may live in Knoxville. 
So it's important that I network with different cities. And what that looks like for a woman coming out of prison, the transition piece is important. And the reason it's important is because that is another resource that provides them with jobs, transportation, medical needs, mental health needs, family support, substance abuse counseling, all of those things offered at that one-stop shop. That's what I refer to it as. And again, it's a transition. It's not meant to become permanent housing. However, once they finish that transition program, if they don't have a place to go, that agency will say, hey, we can still help you. You can stay here as a tenant and just pay rent. Um, and those are some of the things I try to encourage the ladies to do. Um, it's not always difficult. Sometimes it is. But the important thing I have to let them remember is when they commit a felony, it is not who they are. It's what they did. And I always tell them that because this is what they do with their crime. They hold on to it like I'm holding this eraser. This is my crime. This is what I did. And when you talk to them, that's the first thing they want to tell you about. And I discourage that because I tell them that's not for everybody to know. That information is a need to know thing because let's face it, we're going to look at them different. We do. I know I do. How many of you know if the person that lives next door to you is a felon? That's right, because they're not going to tell you that. <laughs> so for that reason, I just tell them to drop it and let it go. Um, and I also encourage them from a, from a biblical standpoint, because I know that true transformation comes through Jesus Christ. That's the only way they're going to change their perception on life, things, what they do, where they go. And sometimes those familiar people, places, and things will end them right back up in prison. It's, ne it's not necessarily what they did. Sometimes it's who they hang with. So those are the things I teach. Those are the skills that I offer to them. Not everyone receives it. Not everyone is going to because they're just not ready. And that's all it is. And, and people don't take it personal, especially us out there that works in this field. If you're a parole officer, if you're a counselor, if you're an officer, don't take it personal. They just weren't ready. And what I also do, and I'll end with this, to make it real to them, to those that are still locked up, because they want to see some results. I have agencies come into institution and I host resource fairs. I've been doing it, this, this will be my third one, so for every year I've been at Mark Lutcher, I've been hosting a resource fair. Uh, and they're pretty successful. I have not yet, I haven't had anyone yet to say, Miss Morgan, I don't like you bringing them folks in here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> they, they benefit from those resources because they wanna know what's out there to help them. And I let them know, ladies, these things are a means to an end. You need these resources, use them. That's what they're there for. And that's, that's strictly all I do. I, I'm just the go-to liaison for them to get what they need. And I love doing it. So that's, that's my piece. I have to wrap it up. But um, it's okay if you have any questions. We have to go? Okay. <laughs> Thank you all. I appreciate it. <laughs>